feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Welcome. It is good to see you tonight at Bible study. We're going to take a moment to pray. Ask God. Blessing on our time, and then we'll get moving forward. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your presence here in our midst, and we thank you, God, that you have an interest in teaching us and showing us and revealing to us. And so, God, we ask that we have really just an open heart, open mind, open spirit to receive what you want to say and what you want to do in our midst. I ask you, God, that uh, we'd be just wide open to your word tonight, wide open to the move of your spirit, wide open to the revelation that you want to bring to us. So we ask God that you would speak. I pray, Father, that we would respond to your word tonight into our lives. That we wouldn't let the moment pass, but we would take the time and we do what needs to be done to respond to you tonight when we leave this place. We give you thanks. Ask God to have your way. Bless this time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Every Bible is open up to Second Samuel chapter twenty-four. Second Samuel twenty-four. Second Samuel chapter twenty-four. And we need a volunteer to read verse twenty-four. Second Samuel twenty-four. Twenty-four. But then the king replied to Maruna, No, I insist. I'm paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God. Burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. All right, thanks. So uh, this passage, now the background of it is that David had done something he shouldn't have done. Uh, he had numbered uh, people. He counted them up. He was warned not to do it. He did it anyway. And 
the Lord was angry, and so he gave you three choices. He said, which one do you want? You have some famine in the land, seven years of famine. You can be chased by your enemies, or we can do three days of pestilence from the Lord. And so David had to make a choice, and he knew that whatever his choice was going to cost people their lives. Uh, this is one of those times it's not good to be the king. And uh, it, it happens every now and then, you see in the history that we have in the scriptures where there are those days or those times where it's just not good. This is one of those times. And so David chose we're going to take the pestilence of the Lord because uh, his reasoning, as with his reasoning, is that he really put himself in the hands of God and the hands of man. And so he he said, all right, well, you know, because who knows if God have mercy. But see, that's the way you saw God. And I want you to think about that choice for a second, because uh, it, it reveals something about the way he saw God and the way he saw man. In other words, he'd rather be in the hands of God than in the hands of man. Now, you think to yourself, well, that makes sense. Well, does it really? Is that how people really live? I mean, do people really live in such a way that they'd rather have their, their lives in the hands of God than in the hands of another person? Or do people believe that other people can be manipulated or other people can be lied to or other people can be fooled or other people can be swayed or other people... I mean, if you think about it, we kind of have an opposite way of seeing this that David did. And he made his choice, which was a great choice. He chose wisely when he came down to this decision. And so this is coming to the end of what happened. Uh, the angel that God had sent to bring destruction and pestilence was on the threshing floor of Arana there. And Arana had, David had gone and there was a word that was given to him that said he needs to offer sacrifices to God and then things will pass. And so David asked Arana, he said, all right, well, let me buy the threshing floor so we can offer some sacrifices and get things moving along. And Arana's like, you can have it. In other words, you can have what I got. You got ox, you got wood, you got the threshing floor right here. So you can have it. I'll give it to you. Donate it. Donate it. And Dave, this was David's response to the Second Samuel 24, 24. When he said, no, I, I, no I'm going to buy it. And he, and he laid down a principle here, and it was a principle on which he acted in this situation. And, and it underlies all true sacrifice and all real giving to God. And that's why it's important. And I know we've looked at this verse before, and this is something that uh, some of you have been around for a while. You've heard me speak on this, teach on this a number of times, but it is such an important principle of our worship. It's such an important principle of our giving. It's such an important principle of what it means to sacrifice. And it's this. That David said to Iran, I mean, that was a good deal, right? I'll give it to you for free. That's a good deal. Well, a good deal isn't really the issue. The, the, the deal that, that David was looking at is like, I want to give sacrifice. I want to make sacrifice to my God. And he says, I will not do that with something that costs me nothing. 
I won't do it. And that principle that he made that decision on, that principle by which he acted in this situation literally underlies all of anything that we would ever call true sacrifice or real giving to God in any shape or form that you want to understand it. It has to do with how we give of our time, it has to do with how we give of our effort, it has to do with how we give of our finances, it has to do with give of our worship, it has to do with how we give of anything that we give or sacrifice to God. This is the underlying principle to all of it. It underpins all of it. That's why it's important. And that's why we need to understand it and take it home into our hearts, into our minds. Because there's an idea about costly worship that's important that we need to go home about. Worship in and of itself is required to be, if it's going to mean anything, costly. Now what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at some, some verses talking about worship. And I want to talk about worshiping Jesus tonight. I want to talk about worshiping Jesus. And so let's look up a few verses about worshiping Jesus. So, Hebrews 1.6. Does anybody want to look that up? Hebrews 1.6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Alright, so you start here with heavenly beings. You got angels. And you got a command coming forth that as Jesus came into the world, the angels were commanded, is there any way you need to worship them? And so he receives worship from heavenly beings. He receives worship from angels. And and that starts us off. It begins to give us an idea of his importance. It begins to give an idea of who he is. It begins to give an idea of his work. And that is that God commanded the angels that they were to worship him. Next, uh, Matthew 14.33. Matthew 14.33. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Alright, so the disciples... And it's talking about the disciples, they worship Jesus. And they like, why are you going through this? They say, well, I'm going through this because I want you to understand who worships Jesus. So far we've got angels worshiping Jesus, and we've got the disciples worshiping Jesus. And this is why Jesus was walking around in human. He was a human being. Right? They understood. He was a human being, but they understood something about him, and that is he is the Son of God. So they worshiped him. They made proclamation about him. And they brought worship to him. He was worthy of their praise. Matthew 28, 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Alright, more of the disciples. These are the people that Jesus had trained. These are the people that Jesus had poured his life into. These are the people that Jesus had been spending the last three, three and a half years with. These are the people that are followed him. These are the people that left their homes and left their work and left everything they were doing to follow after Jesus. And it says they worshipped him. So we've got the apostles, the disciples, the, the angels in heaven worshipping him. So they look at Philippians 2. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. Becomes if 
if we're mimicking something that somebody else is doing, that's not worship. If we're just doing something because everybody else is doing it, that's not worship. If we're participating in some group activity, just to be part of the group, that's not worship. Just because you want it to be worship doesn't mean it's worship. But if we're going to ascribe word to someone, something, whatever you want to see that as, it has to cost you something. That's the word. That's where it comes from. And so when we worship, there are certain things that, that it has to cost us. And it should cost us. It should cost us time. It should cost us effort. It should cost us and may cost us reputation. It may cost us some kind of pride or, or some kind of standing and what people think about us or whatever that is. I don't even know. What is it worth? I have no idea. But it should cost us something. And the way that it's been set up is that the worship, our worship that we bring before Jesus is going to have to cost us something if it's going to mean anything. It's not just the act itself. It's what drives that act. It's not just the act itself. It's what that act is costing us in order to see it happen. And I don't think we think about it in those terms a lot. I don't think we consider that in those terms a lot. I think we have our expressions and we make our expressions and we're done. There's got to be more than that. I think we, we, we have our ways of doing things and, and we, so we do that and, well, it's done. There's got to be more than that. It's got to mean more than that. It's got to cost us something more than that. And so that means it, it, it's not going to be cheap and it's not going to be easy. Because you know what? We like that, don't we? We like it easy. We like it cheap and easy. We like it. I mean, people like things cheap and easy. People like things easy for themselves. We're always pleased with something that costs less money or pain or time or whatever it is. But it shows an untruth that's in us. It really does. Especially when it comes to worshiping Jesus. Because when it comes to worshiping Jesus, there's, there's no bargain basement. And there's no more bang for your buck. It's not. It's not about being cheap or easy. It's not about what's most convenient. It's not about what's easiest for you. It's not about what yeah, makes you feel better. Okay? It's not. You want it to be, but it's not. And there may be other things in your life, and if there are those things in your life that you're always looking for that easy thing, there's things in your life you're always looking for that less expensive, that cheap thing. You're always looking for whatever that thing is that's going to cost you less of this or less of that. Then for when you get to a situation like this, something has got to change in your heart and change in your mind to be effective. There are things in our life that we're better off not skipping on. They just are. And when you skimp on certain things, you learn the lesson quickly. 
Worship of Jesus is one of those things. Because the very definition of what you're doing requires it cost you something dear. If it's going to mean anything. And so if you go into that looking for the easy way, the cheap way, the inexpensive way, the way that uses less time or effort, you've missed the point of what you're doing. That's why what David did here underpins everything that's real. Because it would have been a lot more convenient for David if Uriah said, hey, you can just have this. And David's like, okay, thanks. Set up an altar and went to it. But that's not what he did. Because what underpins everything that he was about to do, what underpins everything that we're about to do, when we worship, what underpins everything that we're about to do when we make sacrifice for God, what underpins everything we're about to do when we're going out and we're going to serve Him and worship Him and try to work through His name is that it needs to cost us something. And have the attitude, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. I will not do it. It is a waste of time and effort. And I know you want to think to yourself, well, God just takes everything. Yeah, okay. Believe what you want. Believe what you want. Like he's desperate for worship or something. He's lucky he got what he got. Is that what's in your head? Is God lucky he got a little bit of worship out of you on Sunday? Was he lucky about that? He should be thankful and grateful that you spent two minutes worshiping him? Is that what you think? I don't. I think we serve a God who is infinitely worthy of our whole lives. He's not lucky if I give him two minutes. Follow me? Are you really, I mean, listen to what I'm saying. Do you follow what I'm saying? I run into people all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to do this. Especially if you're in a volunteer situation. Oh, yeah, I'll just you know, do this and this. You're lucky I even gave you that much. Am I? You've been around here long enough, which some of you have, you know we don't operate that way. I don't feel lucky you gave me two minutes of your time. And if I feel that way, I know the God I serve doesn't feel that way. Because He's infinitely worthy of everything you have in our. I want you to consider that. I want you to consider and cheap and easy is what we're about. I want you to consider that. I want you to consider that cheap and easy going to what costs less, whether it be money, pain, time, whatever, I want you to consider in your heart tonight that that's not what we're about. And I don't believe that's what God's about, and I know that's not what David was about, because he said it wasn't what he was about. And so he made this statement. He said, sacrifices cost you something. Now I said in passing just a moment ago that if you have that attitude, it shows an untruth in you. Because it does. It shows an untruth in you about how you really feel about God. How you really see and what you really estimate his worth to be. 
it shows no tree. And so David says that a sacrifice must, must, cost you something. In other words, a sacrifice must cost you, it must come from you. And it must cost you something. We have no better way to spend our resources than to honor God with them. No better way? And you can try to come up with a better investment. You can talk to your financial advisor. You try to explain it to him. I've tried to explain it to my financial advisor. I'll tell you right now, I have a financial advisor and I've tried to explain giving to God to my financial advisor. He does not understand. Okay? He just doesn't. And I've tried, I've explained it. Nope. He's a nice guy. My financial advisor's a nice guy. Doesn't understand. And I've had two financial advisors. Don't understand. Neither one of them. Both nice guys. Both of them, very giving. Both of them, they'll take time and will talk and will spend time. They'll do a lot of things, but they don't understand that. That my best investment option isn't them. It isn't their company. It isn't their determination about what the market's doing. It isn't their determination about what the bonds are doing or the real estate market or anything else. Because they're really smart about those things. But not so smart about what Jesus is doing. But they don't know God. I do. And so I'm convinced of one thing that they're not convinced of. Now, do I expect them to understand? No. Unless one day they come and they know Jesus the way that I do. They don't understand. But until then, they're going to have to accept the fact that there's certain money and there's certain things that they will never get from me. Because it goes to a better investment. Every single week or every single month. As does my time. As does my efforts. I do a lot of things that I'm doing my resources. I don't expect them to understand. If you think about it, death is destroying all around. Death is destroying all around. And it's madness for us not to invest into the eternal. Madness. Didn't he, Jesus described it as storing up treasures in heaven? If we're not investing into the eternal, and again, I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about time and effort, and we all have talents and all kinds of things that we can invest into the eternal. But it is sheer madness if you just take a look around and see how death is bringing destruction 
all around us. And many people around us, and many situations, and places, and circumstances, all those things. Death is reigning. And bringing destruction all around us is madness for me to not invest in the eternal. Madness for you too. And when we begin to talk about the sacrifice of praise, and I want you to think about the sacrifice of praise, God encourages us to offer Him spiritual, spiritual sacrifices. And as an evidence of His reconciliation, He desires that from us. It's evident. He, he reconciled us to Himself, and then He says, here's what I want from you. I want you to praise me. Here's what I want from you. I want you to offer me spiritual sacrifices. Here's what I want from you. I want you. He redeemed us for a reason. He, he saved us for a reason. He's cleansed us for a reason. He set us free for a reason. And He calls us into this relationship. And the fact that He's asking, He's, he's encouraging us to have a spiritual sacrifice in our life. Whatever that might look like. And again, I'm trying not to major on any one thing, but it's going to look like something in our life. It's going to cost us something. And the fact that he's calling us and encouraging us into that, into that situation where it does cost us something, that's evidence that he has reconciled us to himself. So all the good questions about it separate us, all the things that kept us away from him, all the things that kept us over here and him over here, all that has been resolved, and then he encourages us to come before him with praise and worship. He encourages us to come before him with a spiritual sacrifice. Our body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is our reasonable act of worship. Yeah. Whatever that gap was, whatever that gulf was, whatever that separation was, is gone. And he's encouraging us closer. He's encouraging us to himself. The excuse of living over here and God being over here isn't valid. I'll do my thing and you know, and then I'll give God, you know, Sundays or whatever is in your head. Not valid. Whatever the world has taught you, whatever religion has taught you about how you go about living your life, oh, we've been set in motion over here and you know, God's over here. It's not true. In fact, the only reason people want to believe that is so they can just do their own thing and give God some kind of lip service. The fact of the matter is God has called us closer. And He's encouraged us closer. And that's the evidence of the reconciliation is that there's nothing between us now. How close do you want to get? That's up to you. How close will He allow you? As close as you want to get. That's how close. Because the barriers are gone. The in-betweens are gone. So how close? It's up to you. It's up to you. How much are you willing to invest in taking time to get to know somebody? Get to know Him. How much are you willing to invest to go about living your life in a way that He calls you to live it. How much are 
you willing to invest in following after what he said and finding yourself even closer to him tomorrow? How much? What's it worth? But see, he's already given everything he needs to be given. What's it worth to you? What would hold you back? Your selfishness, maybe? Your fear, probably. Your lack of understanding, likely. But that's not us. That's not us. That's not me. It's not you. How close you want to get to Jesus? That's not us. How close you want to be. Look at Revelation 19. Revelation 19 and verse 10. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant for you, and with your brothers and sisters, who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the spirit of prophecy bears testimony to Jesus. Alright. I just took things in this passage I want you to see. One, John falls at the feet of an angel to worship him. What did the angel tell him? Don't do that. Don't do that. Why? He's not worthy. He's not worthy. And if that spiritual being standing in front of John there isn't worthy, what do you think about the stuff in your life? Like stuff. Stuff, you know? Unnamed stuff. Mm-hmm. Not want to name. What about that? You're a powerful spiritual being here that's bringing revelation after revelation to John who obviously is big and mighty and knowledgeable and close and all these things, and John falls to worship him. He's like, don't do it. I'm not worthy. Well, neither is your stuff. Neither are those people. Neither is that person. Neither is that thing. Whatever that thing is. Whatever that stuff is. Whatever those people are. They're not worthy. I know they're not worthy because this angel guy wasn't worthy. And John is an apostle. John's a disciple. John was the one closest to Jesus, laying his head on his chest and reclining with him at dinner. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. And so he's close to Jesus. He had a revelation of Jesus. But he was so impressed by this angel guy that he fell on his feet to worship him. And the angel guy had to tell him, not worthy. Not worthy. And if John can get confused, so can you. So can I. And we get confused by stuff that's a lot dumber than the big angel guy. Less glorious, a lot less revelation, not even heavenly. I mean, he's heavenly. 
Not even close to God. We get confused about stuff that's not even close to God. We get confused by people that we should never be confused by. Not worthy. Not worthy. Money is not worthy. Security is not worthy. Not worthy. Not. Stuff is not worthy. House is not worthy. Car is not worthy. No one's worthy. Except Jesus. No one's worthy except for Jesus. Nothing is worthy except for Jesus. Nothing. And while this may seem obvious, I really have to ask the question, is it really? And why is there any confusion at all? But I'm here to tell you there is. How many times, how many times am I going to experience in my life and ministry someone making a decision to bind themselves to another human being at the sacrifice of their relationship with Jesus? How many times will I experience that in my life? That's how I know this isn't obvious. That's how I know we don't settle this in our hearts and our minds and we need to. That's one way I look at it and it's such an obviously weird decision and yet people make it all the time. That this isn't settled. It's not. And if John can be confused, so can you. But you know what? He listened to the angel who said, don't do that. Don't do that. Worship Jesus. Worship God. He's the only one worthy. And at least he listened and he stopped. I don't know if anybody ever listened to me. When they were running off after whoever they were running off after, I said, don't do this. Don't give up your relationship with Jesus for that person. I don't know if any of them ever listened to me. So as far as I'm concerned, this needs to be settled before you get into a situation. Before you get into a circumstance. Before you get into some weird thing that you're not going to be able to crawl your way out of. Or you're not going to listen to anybody. You're not going to hear anybody. And you make your decisions and, and, and you set your priorities and you do what you need to do. And you start living a different way first. And then maybe you don't find yourself in that situation. Maybe. Think you got a fighting chance at least. If you get some things straightened out to start with instead of trying to do it from the middle of some weird situation. I'll give up my worship of Jesus for a job for the security of money. Really? Bad decision. I'm going to give up my worship of Jesus for, you know, 
keep peace in the family or whatever. Really? Bad decision. Tell you. Believe me or not, still a bad decision. Nobody listens. Just tell you. Get your priorities straight and live it. If that's what we're looking at here. You go on in that verse where the angel's talking to John. He makes a statement. He says, uh, he says, yeah, the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. And this might be off topic, but I always want to say this, that it's important for us to honor when God speaks in our midst. It's important for us to honor His Word. It's important for us to receive His Word. It's important for us to hear His Word. It's important for us to allow God to speak through us to give His Word. And it's important for us to honor the Word of prophecy in our lives. To give it its proper place. And when we receive a Word, that we need to take it, write it down, listen to it, pray into it, see what God has to say through it, and then apply it. Because if you scorn prophecy, you scorn prophecy, you're scorning the testimony of Jesus in your life. And however you want to define that, all I can say is that doesn't sound good. Alright? Testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We value prophecy in our midst we do for a reason. But as God speaks, as we receive His Word, there's something creative and there's something powerful that happens when that happens. You get no better understanding of that than being in a foreign country, ministering to people in a foreign language, and depending on the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit to get the job done. And you got people that are praying with you, prophesying and sending you words every day and every night that are encouraging and you're watching them come to pass. There is no greater spot to be in to understand that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What can you do? We cannot scorn what God is ordained. But we must value, value what God is saying. And so I want you to hear what I'm saying here. I want you to look at this passage in that we cannot contradict the essential idea of sacrifice. Can't do it. If you're going to be any good at it. In other words, if I think of anything and what the essential idea of that thing is, and then try to figure out, okay, well, I'm going to do it this other way. Okay? Let's go do it some other way. You going to be any good at it? No! No! Like, in other words, you look at something, the essential idea of sacrifice is it needs to cost you something. Well, I'm going to make sacrifice not costing me anything. You're going to be a terrible sacrificer. 
Because you're contradicting what the word actually means. You're contradicting the central idea of it. You're contradicting how it works. That makes you automatically bad at it. Just bad. And so if we're going to live in such a way where we're going to worship, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to give, we have to follow the idea, the essential idea of what it is, which is it's going to cost you something. I know some of you are offended by what I'm saying. You think it's not me, Andy. Yeah, it's all you. But I know some of you are offended by what I'm saying. I know you are. Because it, it goes against something that you've heard before. It goes against something that you think. I know. But I am of the opinion, and this is something I wanted to say earlier, and I'm going to say it now. If you're going to do something for the kingdom, heck, if you're going to do something for us as a church, and you can't be bothered to half-ass it, keep it to yourself. I'd rather you do nothing. I want you to hear me say that. I will get out and do it myself before you can do something 25% or 50%. Because if that's your heart and that's your attitude, I'd rather you not do it at all. What do I mean by that? If you can't sweep out a room and do it right, don't bother. Give me a call. I'll come down and I'll sweep the room for you. Okay? Is that simple enough for you? I'm not talking about giving money. I'm not talking about uh, you know giving your first child to the service of the temple. I'm not talking about quitting your job and moving to Botswana. All right? If you can't sweep a room up, because you can't be bothered. Don't do it. Let somebody know and somebody will pick it up and they will do it. And I just do what I'm going to Alright? That's not me? Maybe? What it should sound like is that you need to retrain your heart and retrain your mind for something else if you're going to serve in the kingdom. You take it seriously and do it. And if that requires you to retrain your heart and retrain your mind, then go about it and do it. Do it. Because I, I didn't gather people here on a Monday night to talk to a bunch of people that are just showing up for the first time. Right? That's not why we're here. You guys are disciples, and you guys know better. And that's why you're here tonight. And that's why I'm speaking plainly to you. Okay? Plainly. And so, you have to expect, you have to expect that things are going to cost you. Alright? Or even that time, effort, energy. Sometimes things are going to hurt. 
Sometimes the pain is involved. Well, I don't like pain, Andy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, only sickos really like pain. I mean, like Steve Martin and uh, Little Shop of Horrors or something, you know? And Dennis, if you don't know the reference, that's okay. But we don't like pain. Sometimes it's for cost. We don't like doing stuff when we're tired. Most of the time it's for cost. We don't like to make, you know, exceptional effort. Well, sometimes that's what it costs. It's just sometimes what it costs. But any time we're going to worship, any time we're going to make sacrifice, any time we're going to be useful in the kingdom, it's going to cost us something. The last thought I want to leave with you has to do with Sunday morning. And that's when you come to worship. You need to come to worship. You need to come to worship. Who are you dependent on? Who? I hope it's not me or Mary or Pete or Justine or Garrett. Because we're going to let you down. You gotta come to worship. You gotta come to worship. And that might cost you something. Maybe you don't feel like it. Yeah. Whatever. You think for the past thirty five years or so that I've been showing up to churches to worship, I felt like it every single Sunday? Do you believe that? No. Don't believe that. There's lots of Sundays I don't feel like it. When we come and we make the sacrifice of praise. We come ready to worship, understanding that that's going to cost us something. It's going to mean anything, it's going to cost us something. You struggle to get here, you get here, time to worship. It costs you something. It is heartless to serve God cheaply. What I mean by that? I mean, there ain't a lot of heart in that. There ain't a lot of heart in serving God cheaply. Doing the easy thing, just getting by, going through the motion, letting other people carry the load, whatever it is. It's heartless. God's calling us to do our hearts full. Hearts full. Hearts full in our worship and service to Him. David, as you know, that's the story. I hope you can read it if you need to. So David went ahead. He bought the he bought the threshing floor. He bought the ox. Bought some wood made an altar, sacrificed, and God turned from the way he was going to destroy Jerusalem. And David saved the day by making a sacrifice that was costly to him. That's what happened.
and ended up we went and bought that, bought the whole hill, and uh, that would be eventually where the temple would be built. Was there? It was purchased that day. That day. And you never know what you purchase today, what it might turn into tomorrow. Or what it might turn into next week, or it might turn into next month, or next year, or what the generation may reap that comes after you for the sacrifice that you make today. Don't know. I don't know. None of us know. Doesn't matter. We do what we're called to today and let God sort out what happens then. So David, do what you do. God blessed it in generations. Generations have benefited from that. So here's what it's got promised. I guess that wasn't the funniest message I ever gave you, huh? <laughs> Not the cheeriest. But I hope you can get a hold of something from it. I hope you can get a hold of some kind of truth, you get a hold of some kind of something that you can think of Jesus to. To see some change in your life. Let's take a moment and respond. And by response, I just want you to respond to whatever God was speaking to you about. So take a moment and do that. And I'll uh, close this in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Be blessed are you, Jesus. You're worthy. You're so worthy, God. Jesus. Thank you for saving us, God. Thank you for your works that redeems us. Thank you, God. You brought us into relationship, reconciled us. Thank you there's nothing standing between us. Thank you, give us opportunity closer and closer. How closer I want to be to you, God. generations that long for that opportunity and it's ours who, who couldn't get any closer they stood in a distance but God you've opened the door for us to be closer how close how close thank you God thank you Lord Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, Lord. Lord, I thanks for the opportunity to serve, the opportunity to sacrifice, to worship, the opportunity to, to give. Thanks. It's your privilege of those things. Actually, the place and the space to serve you. The vehicle that we have here to serve you. 
for a great neighborhood to serve you in. For, God, a world that stands before us that we can go into with the gospel. That we live in such a time that we can travel so far in so little time. We live in such a time that you've made it convenient for us to, to, to travel and to move about. Thanks. We worship you. I pray, Jesus, that you teach us what it is to worship you in our whole life, in our whole heart, with everything that we are. What it means to live as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is our reasonable, reasonable act of worship. I pray, God, that we join with the angels to worship you. We join with the disciples, with the apostles, with the early church to worship you. Thanks. Thanks. And we join even as the first fruit of all creation, to bow our knee and let our tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thanks. Thanks. And I pray nothing would stand between us. Not reputation, not fear, not worry, not what other people think, not pride, nothing. That's Jesus. And I pray that you would shake this neighborhood in Jesus' name. I pray you would shake our nation in Jesus' name. I pray that you would shake our world in Jesus' name. Use us. Use us. Yes, these things. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Do you guys say it? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good to see everybody. And uh, we'll see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University... UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.